Live from WNUR News, I'm Daniel Gross. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1 Evanston, Chicago. It's Monday, October 23rd, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News, the history of Northwestern's, Univers- under- Northwestern's University Graduate Workers Union, a dive into movie adaptations of your favorite books, a look at the Kansas City Chiefs' new celebrity fan, The B-List, featuring supports celeb- sports, celebrities, and more. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. As the Northwestern University Graduate Workers Union and the administration head into their 11th bargaining session, Sofia Casa looks to provide a history of the union and its progress in the contract process. Grace Jordan-Weinsey narrates this story. Odds are you've been hearing a lot about unions in the national news lately, but there's also a far more personal labor movement happening right now. Raising awareness about a contract negotiation that we're going to on the very campus. Your TAs, your RAs, all of us, we're in a union. I don't know if y'all know that because we have the best working conditions here at Northwest University. That was part of a speech given by Summer Papachin at an event held on Friday, October 20th. Papachin is a graduate student in the Department of Political Science and a member of the Northwestern University Graduate Workers, a labor union also known as the NUGW. Now, unionizing isn't a new thing. It's been happening since the mid-1800s. However, the National Labor Relations Board, the federal agency that handles unions, hasn't always allowed some groups of people to be eligible for these protections, mainly grad students. And it's gone back and forth over the years saying our graduate students who get paid for their work, are they eligible to use the structures of the National Labor Relations Board? That's Kevin Boyle, professor of American history and chair of the history department at Northwestern University. So in 2000, the National Labor Relations Board said, yes, they are. And then in 2004, the National Labor Relations Board said, no, they're not. And then in 2016, they said, yes, they are. This 2016 decision involving graduate workers from Columbia University said that graduate workers at private universities are employees and therefore can form labor unions. This ignited a lot of unionization efforts, including on Northwestern's campus. A month after the Columbia decision, the NUGW was formed. Now, while a majority of their early work was mainly internal, setting up a constitution, getting funding, and other campaigns such as pushing the university to give masks and other personal protective equipment to lab workers, in the spring of 2020 and supporting the community not cops movement on campus. Following that, the NUGW began to seek out union representation, which led them to find the United Electrical Workers Union. Now this might seem like an odd choice for a union since the UE originally dealt with workers who made electrical goods, but Kevin Boyle, Northwestern's history department chair, offers an explanation. That work has really seriously declined in the United States. And so what unions are looking to do is find new sources of membership. Which includes graduate workers. So when January of 2023 rolled around, the NUGW held their union election. Emma Kennedy, a graduate student in art history, recalls this crucial moment for the NUGW. We won on my birthday. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I think just like the energy around the election and, you know, thousands of people coming out to vote um, was a really powerful moment uh, for me personally and I think in the journey of the union. 
This now put the NUGW in the bargaining phase, as they work out a contract with the university committee, which comprises of faculty members and other people in the administration, like HR or finance workers and lawyers. Bargaining sessions began in June, and there's been a decent amount of progress made. Agreements have been reached on things like access to lactation rooms for parents or creating clear job descriptions for all positions. However, the graduate workers still have a lot of concerns that haven't been addressed, as Kennedy said. Higher stipends, better health care, dental insurance. I uh, also really want vision insurance personally because I have glasses. And on this note of wages, Summer Papachin, a political science graduate student, brings up another valid concern. We don't make the living wage right now. We make like 30K, 37K. But in Evanston, the cost of living is like 60K. So we don't even but the biggest holdups are with two main parts of the NUGW's proposed contract. As Esther Cam, current NUGW co-chair and graduate student in the history department notes. We're fighting for a non-discrimination article that allows graduate workers to file grievances through their union contract about discrimination or harassment. It doesn't prevent them from going through a university policy, but it gives them another avenue. And the other major non-economic article that we're still negotiating is called Union Shop. And that simply means that when a contract goes into effect, everyone who is covered by that contract will be protected by that contract. Legally, a union has to defend everyone, has to support everyone through a grievance procedure. This stalling has been complicated as Cam and the rest of the bargaining committee finds themselves facing some bureaucratic challenges. In an institution as large as Northwestern, it's been a struggle to get some of the information that, that we've requested from them. So for instance, we need or have asked for a list of all of the graduate students that the university believes to be covered by the contract, and that list are still waiting on after a number of weeks. This then can lead to negotiations, dragging on even longer as both sides look to have all the facts before agreeing to anything. The graduate school and Northwestern administration never responded to requests for comments on this matter. The NUGW just finished its 10th bargaining session on October 19th. In this meeting, they reached three tentative agreements, including a formation of a joint committee between the NUGW and the administration for resolving issues of this concern. Notable, though, is that the issues of union shop and non-discrimination remain unsolved. As a labor historian and member of the Northwestern community, Kevin Boyle finds this current moment on campus particularly interesting. I think it's a really fascinating thing to see, to see grad students picking up what is their right to do. If they had decided on campus by a vote, which they had last year, if they had decided they didn't want that, of course, that's their right to. But I think it's a really fascinating turn to see. It'll be exciting to see how it all turns out. For people like Esther Cam and the NUGW at the end of the day, they find themselves as part of something bigger than just one group of students. Unions are showing from coast to coast that collective power through people organizing with their coworkers really has the ability to shift the dynamic and offer not just better wages, better benefits, but uh, a better power dynamic in the spaces where we work teach, research, and hopefully thrive. NUGW's next bargaining session is scheduled for November 1st. 
For WNUR News, this is Grace Jordan-Weinstein and Sophia Kesa. Moving on to arts and entertainment. With so many hit novels being adapted into major box office successes, we're left wondering about when our favorite book may be on the big screen. Gabe Shumway has the story. Film adaptations are now becoming more popular than ever. Seemingly everywhere you look, your favorite childhood book is in the theater or being uploaded to whichever streaming service you are subscribed to. Next month, we'll see The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Next year, it'll be Dune, Part 2. And with countless adaptations in between, it leaves us wondering, how do these adaptation ideas come about? What do these writers, directors, and executives look for? And most importantly, which book will we see next? To find out more about this process, I sat down with playwright, poet, and teacher Constance Congdon, who's written numerous theatrical and film adaptations during her career. I am asked by directors to adapt something. When asked about the writing process, Congdon mentioned her first adaptation, The Epic of Gilgamesh. I read the epic, and then I just started writing dialogue and scenes. I hear voices, uh, and I write down what they say. It's, I, I don't think it's nothing mystical at all, just that, you know, you've been listening for your whole life. Film adaptations can come with their fair share of controversy. Some feel that a film adaptation may be better, while others hold strong to the book being superior. As adaptations frequently cut details present in the book, I asked Congdon how she determines which details remain. What I have to do is make an outline, and it's really just a list of events that I want to make sure I cover. Because an event could be something as big as something external, or it can be something internal, really minor, you know, um, seemingly minor. She added that personal experiences can often differ based on gender and upbringing, and that while writing, she often has to ask herself, which is more theatrical? She also stressed the importance of honoring the book and doing it justice when adapting. I always know that I've done a good job if I can go and be by myself in a dressing room or something and say something to the writer like, was that okay? It's like I get that sense of when I'm by myself, I have to be honest. With more adaptations being announced seemingly each month, I took to the Northwestern campus to ask students, what is the next book that you would want to see adapted into a film? I think it would be very difficult, but I would really like to see All the Light We Cannot See made into a film. The reason I think it would be difficult is because one of the main characters is blind. Um, and so conveying the sense of um, sensory detail that's not visual is a really big part of that. Okay, one of my favorite books is a hard science book called Seven Eves, um, which follows uh, the moon gets split in half by a meteor and like basically it starts dissolving and it's gonna like rain down on earth. It's really cool and you could do something like interstellar with it or whatever. Um, and I love the story, I think it's really good. 
While some students had technologically ambitious ideas for adaptations, Weinberg senior Sam Keimweiss opted for a different approach. I don't know. I read the uh, the Sixth Extinction, which is like this really, in my mind, not a kind of boring book about climate change. Um, uh, but it was like really technical and like scientific. But um, I feel like if you made it into like a documentary, it'd be a little more engaging and I'd be able to appreciate the point that she's trying to make. Ideas for the next media adaptation cover a wide range of topics, genres, and characters, but it's hard to ignore their audience appeal. We've seen series like Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, and Twilight become multi-billion dollar franchises, which leaves us all wondering. Maybe the next box office hit will come right from our own bookshelves. For WNUR News, I'm Gabe Shumway. And now, time for oddities. As football is in full swing, the Kansas City Chiefs have a regular guest this season. But why does everyone care so much? Mary Amelia Weiss has the story. Good for a weekend. So it's gonna be forever. Or it's gonna go down in You're most definitely familiar with the music of worldwide pop sensation Taylor Swift. But does that sound familiar? You might recognize that sound as the cheering at a rowdy football game. Specifically, that excitement comes from Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've also heard by now that singer-songwriter Taylor Swift is indeed dating Kansas City tight end Travis Kelsey. But I am a huge fan of the relationship just because he's so in the public eye. It just seems so, like, not wholesome, but, like, it's very, um, like, he treats her well, like you can tell, and she's so excited, and he's so excited, and it just seems like a really good thing. That was freshman Annalise Clens. Clens has been a self-described huge Swifty since she was six years old, and Swift's new relationship gets her stamp of approval. She's very publicly, like, supporting him at the games, like, sitting in the booth with his mom, and, like, you know, they, like, have not really been super hiding from the paparazzi. Like, we all know that Taylor can hide from the paparazzi, so she clearly doesn't want to with him. And, like, the way I've seen a ton of people, like, overanalyze his body language and, like, how he holds her hand. And so it just seems like because they're such in the public eye, it's, like, people are so obsessed with it. Indeed, most major news outlets have been closely covering even their most minor interactions. The world's reaction has been nothing short of enormous. Swift fans tailgating at Chiefs games, memes and photos flooding social media, and people even attending Swift's new film, The Heiress Tour, just as Travis Kelsey. However, both Swift and Kelsey have years of fame under their belts, and both have dated high-profile people before. So why is everybody so obsessed? Why do we care so much? Freshman Annie Fingersh, a Kansas City native, weighed in on the topic from a local perspective. I feel like it's like the biggest news Kansas City has had in like the realm of um, like superstars and popularity, things like that, in a really long time. Like we have some famous people from Kansas City, but kind of our only claim to fame is the Chiefs right now. So like to have Taylor as a connection to Kansas City, it's very exciting. Fingers discuss how the news has struck a chord with the Midwestern community. A lot of my friends from Kansas City, they're not super huge Taylor fans, 
but like even they're excited about this. They're like, oh my god, like someone famous is like coming to Kansas City. Um, but I think a lot of people that are Taylor fans are, like very excited. I've seen people make like Chiefs jerseys that say like Swifty on the back. You know, like people who are Chiefs fans and Taylor fans are very excited about this like combo. Kansas City is clearly buzzing with excitement, but I hope to find out why this phenomenon feels more significant than your average internet obsession. I talked to freshman Mackenzie Kirkwood. Kirkwood says he keeps up with social media trends, but does not identify as a big Swift fan or Kelsey fan. I don't, I don't get the hype, um, but I think it's kind of cool watching two different worlds collide. That is kind of. I probed Kirkwood on his thoughts on the relentless news coverage of the couple. I think it's interesting how much time we put on to like these people that really don't have that much impact in our daily lives. There's a ton of other issues or a ton of other big stories that are happening in the news that we just aren't paying attention to. So I think it's also interesting that the news organizations know that we don't care about those more important topics and they know that we will obsess over something like Travis and Taylor. And I think it's interesting how much people are talking about it, commenting about it, discussing it. I mean, we're even discussing it in class, like it's taking over everything. But he acknowledged that although the Swift-Kelsey relationship is new, this phenomenon isn't. Um, but again, I don't think it's surprising. Um, for, for years and years and years, this is what we, our society's done. We always are fixating on celebrities and who they're dating, who are they dating, are they getting bigger, are they getting smaller. Kind of toxic, and I, I can't imagine it's healthy for them, but it's, it's really interesting. According to Kirkwood, people are simply intrigued by gossip, but he admits that this level of popularity does seem like an oddity in a world of constantly changing trends. Overall, if you're a Swift fan or a Kelsey fan, you're in luck. Just last week, the pair attended a Saturday Night Live show together, what the internet is calling their official hard launch. It's Saturday Night Live! In all seriousness, a crossover between one of America's most beloved sports institutions and the one who many call the artist of our generation is no doubt significant. But should the news be focusing on other, more pressing issues? That's up for you to decide. But I think we can all agree that this couple will be holding the world's attention for the time being. For WNUR News, I'm Mary Amelia Weiss. There are a lot of new releases this week in the pop culture world. Ilse von Heimberg has more for this week's edition of The B-List. Welcome to The B-List, your weekly roundup of celebrity mess and pop culture. This week, 1989 Taylor's version, Kim K's B-Day, and the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Let's begin by wishing a very happy birthday to Kim Kardashian, who turned 43 on Saturday. The Skims founder was spotted last Friday in Beverly Hills celebrating. She was joined by her famous family and A-listers such as Haley Bieber and Ivanka Trump to be a fly on the wall during that dinner. And it seems we can't go a week without talking about Taylor Swift. This Friday is the long-awaited release of 1989 Taylor's version. The album will feature five new tracks from The Vault in addition to re-recordings of all the album's original songs. Another highly anticipated release for Friday is the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. The film stars Josh Hutcherson, who is most known for his role in the Hunger Games movies as PETA. 
The movie is 10 years in the making and has a cult following awaiting the release. And in sports, the Las Vegas Aces beat the New York Liberty 70-69 last Wednesday to claim the WNBA championship. On Sunday, the Baltimore Ravens beat the Detroit Lions 38-6 and the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Miami Dolphins 31-17. If you're looking for some celeb drama, Britney Spears' new memoir, The Woman in Me, drops this Tuesday. The book explores her rise to fame, conservatorship, and relationship with Justin Timberlake. That's all for the B-List this week. Check in next Monday to hear about what happens this week in pop culture. For WNUR News, I'm Ilsa von Heinberg. A look at the weather for tonight. It's currently 63 degrees and clear in Evanston. Bundle up because it's dropping to 56 degrees tonight before warming up tomorrow with a high of 75. Taking a look into the headlines, three Northwestern schools are combining to launch a new graduate program, the PhD in Rhetoric, Media, and Publics, which will be a combination of Weinberg, Medill, and the School of Communications. The program is replacing the PhD in Communication Studies with four students enrolled in its inaugural class. There's a new world record for the world's heaviest pumpkin at a whopping 2,749 pounds. The gourd, named Michael Jordan, was grown by a farmer in California. An Alaskan Airlines flight from Washington State to San Francisco had to be diverted to Portland after an off-duty pilot attempted to disrupt the engines. The pilot attempted to pull the engine fire extinguisher handle and had to be subdued by crew members. Thousands of women in Iceland, including the Prime Minister, are striking on Tuesday in protest of the gender pay gap and gender-based violence. In honor of the Kvenafri, or Women's Day, off, women and non-binary people have been urged to refuse paid and unpaid work on Tuesday, including household chores. And lastly, tonight is Game 7 of the American League Championship Series, where my Houston Astros take on in-state rival Texas Rangers for a spot in the World Series. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news and updates, for, no, for more news, updates, and reports, follow us on Twitter or X at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNURnews.org. That's WNURnews.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Emily Stoll, and our reporters are Sophia Casa, Gabe Shumway, and Mary Amelia Weiss. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Daniel Gross. Catch our next newscast on Wednesday, October 25th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.